There was a dominating performance down under for Charles Leclerc as the Ferrari driver completed the Grand Slam at the Australian Grand Prix. He won pole, led every lap, won the race, and had the fastest lap. He is running away with the Drivers' Championship, but we do still have 20 races to go. It's our Australian Grand Prix review here on the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Dezira. We'll go over the race, give it our couple of takeaways. Plus, we'll review the Grand Prix for every single team. And I'll also have some thoughts at the end of this podcast on Total Wolf's comments on former race director Michael Massey. Please subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you've been liking what we've been doing so far this season and even last season. Man, it really, really helps us grow. If you are brand new to this podcast, thanks for joining us. No, this This isn't an hour long. I do these in about 20 to 25 minutes. I give you a review of the race, a preview of the upcoming race. So I'm glad you're able to make this part of your podcast schedule. All right. The big question I had after the Australian Grand Prix was this, was this race boring? I got to say, I don't think it was. Was it a thriller? No. Was it dull and and forgettable? Eh, Not really, because this was a runaway victory for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. I mean, this thing wasn't even close. It really only had some competitive moments when Leclerc and Verstappen had a nice little battle after the safety car restart. But other than that, this was really no contest. But there's one thing about Formula One that I do like, and it's different than, let's say, NASCAR, in which there are storylines around the grid that you do want to pay attention to. Points matter. The accumulation of points matter. Teams getting a good run and getting some points or a team getting a P4 out of a car that didn't really have a top 10 finish in it. Those are the storylines that I like about this sport. You cover NASCAR, for example, like I did in my early uh, days in the 90s watching uh, Jeff Gordon rise. There wasn't a lot of talk about who finished sixth. Like there wasn't a lot of buzz about who finished fifth. But Formula One, because of the way the point structure works, is that you can take away from different things other than who won the race. And that is so different than than NASCAR and other racing series where it's the winner and then everybody else lost the race. So there were some things that we can take away from the Australian Grand Prix other than Charles Leclerc dominated and won the race. This is forgettable. Let's move on to Imola in a couple of weeks. All right, the Australian Grand Prix did have a couple of good storylines. It is setting up some real conversations about where teams are going as we do head to Imola later this month. Does Red Bull have serious reliability issue? Has McLaren improved their car? Or was just this uh, Albert Park type of thing? And what about Mercedes? It sees so much conversation after just three races. But the focus is going to be on Ferrari. The aftermath of this Grand Prix is Ferrari is dominating. They are on another level. Despite the DNF for Carlos Sainz, the Scuderia really have everything dialed in. Leclerc had a com- as a commanding lead in the Drivers' Championship. He has 71 points. George Russell is in second place in the Drivers' standings with 37. In fact, Leclerc has more championship points than Mercedes as a team, than Red Bull as a team, and we still have 20 races left. But if Ferrari continues to have this kind of pace, they're not going to get anybody else into this mix for a championship fight. Now, look at last season, for example. Verstappen and Hamilton had a close fight in Bahrain. Hamilton took the checkered flag. Verstappen P2 right behind him. And we were ready. I mean, we were ready for this championship battle. Verstappen had a runaway win in Imola, right? He won by 22 seconds over 
Lewis Hamilton, who had a, caught a couple of lucky breaks after sliding into the gravel, and he was able to get a P2 after overtaking Lando Norris. Now, that race wasn't competitive. It was a dominating win by, by Verstappen, but because Hamilton finished P2, it, we were off and running again with this championship fight after two races. Round three, Hamilton wins at Portugal, but Verstappen again finishes second. And it was a feeling after that one that Hamilton and Mercedes were really more dialed into the season. Remember, Verstappen and Red Bull didn't really start coming back into this championship until we went to Monaco. But right now, after three races, you've got Charles Leclerc winning two of them. He had a P2 in the one he didn't win. His teammate has been on the podium twice. Max won the only race he finished. Perez, Hamilton, George Russell, they've been all on the podium too. But right now, this is Charles Leclerc's show, and everybody else is just a spectator participant. But there were other storylines to the Australian Grand Prix. It was a strong finish for George Russell, who earned a podium with a P3. The Red Bull reliability issue is still a big question mark. Verstappen suffering yet another problem that caused him another DNF so far this season. Alex Albon of Williams used a brilliant strategy to gain a championship point after having suffered a grid penalty for what happened with Lance Stroll at Saudi Arabia. He ran on that hard tire until the final lap pitted for softs and got a P10 out of the deal. But one of the other storylines coming out of the Grand Prix was how many people descended on Melbourne for this race. Over 420,000 people were there over the Grand Prix weekend. The Australian Grand Prix is always going to have a unique place when talking about how COVID affected this sport. When we look back at the 2020 season, right, and how Formula One had to take four months off, we'll all remember how the Australian Grand Prix was supposed to kick off the season and all the buzz that was going into the 2020 season and how it came to a stop. So it was pretty great to see Formula One return to Australia for this weekend and the redesign of Albert Park. Again, not a classic race, not a classic finish. This was just a dominating run by Ferrari and Charles Leclerc. But we'll get into the team report card coming up. Overall, though, I was just happy to have this on my calendar. I was happy to stay up midnight central time here in the United States in Nashville, Tennessee, to watch the Australian Grand Prix. All right, let's give you our team report card for the Grand Prix weekend. Let's start with Ferrari, obviously. Two extremely different weekends for the Scuderia. Obviously, Leclerc, he had an amazing run, as we forementioned. Grand Slam victory, fastest lap, won the race, started from pole, led all the laps, second win of the season. But it was the exact opposite for Carlos Sainz. He started P9 and had started the race on the hard tire. He just could not get that to work well. He struggled with the grip. He also had a steering wheel change. He dropped five places to P14 within the first two laps of the race. Then on lap two, he spun into the gravel. His race was over. It ended the small two-race streak of double podiums for Ferrari. But more importantly, here's the thing. Carlos Sainz beat Charles Leclerc in the point standings last season. But Leclerc's victories and now running away with the Drivers' Championship has put Sainz on the back burner where he will be all season. He's not going to be overtaking his teammate for a championship. I mean, this was a bad weekend for Carlos Sainz, but nevertheless, this was a great weekend for Charles Leclerc. He is clearly the top driver on this team. I don't think anybody was really disputing that anyway, but the reality of it is, is Sainz is now going to have to play second fiddle 
title to the top driver in the sport right now. And I don't know how he's going to do that, knowing that last season in an uncompetitive car in 2021, he was able to beat his teammates straight up over the long haul. This is not going to be the case this season. This is just not. He's going to continue to finish behind Leclerc all season long, and he won't be in any contention for a championship, which is why he went to Ferrari in the first place. All right, Red Bull, almost the same thing as Ferrari, two extremely different weekends for them. Sergio Perez earning a podium finish with a P2, but it was Max Verstappen that suffered his second DNF of the year with the fuel leak. Now, he did joke at the end of the race that they're going to need 45 races to catch up. But hey, this is still a long season. Who knows what can happen? But as for Checo, there was a really nice drive. He had some nice overtakes. He had the he had the pace to beat out Mercedes. He had the pace to obviously beat out McLaren. Uh, it would have been a double podium for Red Bull if Verstappen was able to make it to the checkered flag. But he did not. And I think that was the bigger story of the Grand Prix than Checo's podium was Max Verstappen, the world champion, has two DNFs in the first three races of the season. Obviously, going to... From Bahrain to Saudi Arabia and Melbourne, now everybody goes back to the factory for two weeks. They stay in Europe a bit, and so maybe Red Bull can figure out this reliability issue when they head to Imola. Now, as for Mercedes, this was a P3 finish for George Russell. He is now in second place in the Drivers' Championship. He earned his first podium with the team, his second of his career. But you remember, the first one he had with Williams last season came because rain shut down the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, and he had one of those all-time qualifying laps. So the race didn't get run, so they went with the grid, and he was, you know, uh, he, he earned a podium for that. But this is his first podium in Formula One after completing a full Grand pre-race. Now, at one point, he was told fighting Perez was less important than a position with his tires. He was leading Perez, but Perez was right behind him. He didn't really want to hear this. No driver does. Perez was able to overtake him. He had the better car. He had the better pace. But Russell was able to take care of his tires. Hamilton finished fourth right behind him. He had some overheating issues that caused him to back off a little bit with the Perez-Russell battle just ahead of him. Is Mercedes back? Not really. I mean, they're taking advantage of Max Verstappen happen, for example, in a DNF situation like they did in Bahrain where Sergio Perez also had a DNF. The reality of it is, is Mercedes doesn't have the pace against Red Bull and Ferrari when those cars are on. Um, so yeah, Total Wolf has got some concerning issues with the team. He definitely wants to be up there in terms of pace. They are taking advantage of opportunities. They're, they're sort of best of the rest right now, but that's not where they want to be. I mean, they want to be fighting Ferrari and Red Bull for poles and wins and all of that. We still got some races to go. We'll see some upgrades in the parts, but nevertheless, this is not the best start for Mercedes, even though one of their drivers, George Russell, is P2 in the driver's standings, and they are P2 in the constructor's standings. McLaren, quite a weekend for them. Both Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo got through to Q3 on Saturday, and both finished in the top 10. Yay! Lando with a P5, Ricciardo a P6. Nice points haul for the team. They were near the bottom of the order in Bahrain at the opener. They basically were the fourth best team in the field on Saturday in, in Australia. They weren't better than Ferrari, Red Bull, or Mercedes, but they were better than everybody else. Both drivers said it was the best they could do with the car, and both were pretty happy with the result, especially Ricardo, who said afterwards that this was the first time in four years that he left Melbourne in high spirits. Of course, we didn't race there over the last two years, but hey, he's happy. One big question, though, is McLaren figuring out their car, or was this an Albert Park circuit thing? A lot of people are pointing that out, that, you know what, maybe this was just 
the circuit that sort of appealed to their car, they may still need to go over the data as they head to Imola in a couple of weeks and run the rest of the season. But nevertheless, a good points haul for this team. Ricardo wanted to have a good showing in front of the home fans who have not seen a Grand Prix since 2019, and he didn't finish very well in that race back then. He got a P6 out of this deal just behind Lando Norris in a P5. So good day for McLaren. Yes, it is very, very likely that this was more circuit-oriented than the fact that they had made the right upgrades to the team. But again, we'll see what they have when we go to Imola. They're right now P4 in the Constructors' standings. Haas, no points for them in Australia, which is too bad because it was fun seeing them get some in the first two races with good performances from Kevin Magnussen in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. However, he finished P14. Mick Schumacher just ahead of him with a P13 finish. Magnussen started on the hard tire, had it into the top. Top 10, but dropped back after his pit stop. Schumacher had a rather uneventful race. Well, he did almost run into the back of Yuki Sonoda, but other than that, rather uneventful for Mick Schumacher. Uh, Again, no points for Haas at the Australian Grand Prix. Alpine, this was a really sad weekend for Fernando Alonso. He was on a stellar qualifying lap in Q3, but he crashed. He started P10. He went with the hard tires, stayed out during the safety car, was able to take advantage in that, but after he took mediums, there was too much traffic, and those wore out on him rather quickly and he dropped all the way down finishing P17 just some really bad luck for him the entire weekend Esteban Ocon finished P7 and that's where he started the Grand Prix it was a pretty disappointing weekend though for the team no doubt I mean after feeling like Alonso had put together that great qualifying run you felt like maybe the car was dialed in but then after he crashed you know just you know, puttered out for him. Alphatari, Pierre Gasly had to really work for this P9. He they pitted just before the safety car, so they couldn't take advantage of placement on you know on in the order when the others did pit under yellow. Gasly though managed to get some points after dropping down to P14 with his pit stop. As for Yuki Sonoda, he said the car had no pace. They struggled to a P15 finish. Like Gasly, he was also unlucky after pitting before the safety car. Sometimes this happens, right? You you can't anticipate when the safety safety car is going to be. Sometimes you get good luck and sometimes you don't get good luck. Sometimes you stay out. Here comes the safety car. You take advantage of it. Sometimes you pit right before it like Sergio Perez did in Saudi Arabia and you you suffer because of it. It was not a good day for AlphaTauri, however, but they did get a little bit of points. So that's, that's, that's fine, but it was not a good day. Alfa Romeo, Valtteri Bottas finished P8, Zhou Guanyu finished P11. So this was almost a double points race for them. Bottas had a good performance after not getting into Q3 on Saturday. He made a huge deal of that because he was always in Q3 when he was with Mercedes. But he made some nice moves to get into the top 10. The team had pretty good strategy for the race. Guanyu almost got into some points, but he couldn't get past Alex Albon in that final lap. They had a very disappointing race in Saudi Arabia, so it was nice for the team to get some points in Australia. Australia. Now let's get to Williams, because this is where the fun begins. Alex Albon could have gotten driver of the day. In fact, he really was my pick for driver of the day, even though Charles Leclerc had a grand slam win. He ran those hard tires for 57 of the 58 laps. It was a pretty bold strategy, and he took his pit stop on the final lap and was able to grab that final championship point. He was around P7 when he went in, came out, hung on for P10. He had to fend off Zhou Guan Yu at the end, but it was a great strategy that worked for him and his team. Remember, he started in the back of the pack. He had the grid penalty because of his incident with Lance Stroll at Saudi Arabia. So he started P16. So they figured they had nothing to lose, right? They might as well try something different. And man, this was fun to watch. Here was the thing. If you watch the data for the race, he was putting in some really good lap times late in that race on those worn hard tires. I mean, he was really putting up some numbers. 
I was waiting and waiting because you have to take a mandatory pit stop. I was wondering when it was going to be. And then I started figuring, you know, it's probably going to be on the last lap. We'll probably dump in for some softs and hang on. That's exactly what they did. So I thought Alex Albon was my driver of the day because that was pretty good strategy that he made work. So good for him. Williams getting on the board with one point. Now as for Nicholas Latifi, he started P19 after Lance Stroll ran into him in qualifying. What the heck was that? He finished 16th. Aston Martin, this team right now is an absolute complete disaster. Alex Albon getting a point for Williams. That team now is the only one left in Formula One without one this season. Now, to their credit, Sebastian Vettel is, was making his season debut in the car. He had lacked serious seat time because of COVID. It showed. He went into the barriers, which brought out the safety car. His race was over. Lance Stroll finished P12 and had to serve a time penalty for weaving on the track. So as I mentioned before, this is the only team left in Formula One that doesn't have a point. And Lawrence Stroll is putting a lot of money into this team. They're getting brand new facilities in Silverstone, and they are really trying to be one of the premier teams in Formula One. I mean, I'm sure they would like to compete for championships in this new cost-cutting regulation where you feel like if you put a lot of the right resources together, you should be able to field a championship-level car. But the two drivers that they have, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel, look, Lance Stroll's probably not going to go anywhere. His dad's not going to fire him. And then Sebastian Vettel, former world champion, who's good to have around the paddock with his experience. But nevertheless, this is not a championship-level team because the car isn't competitive, but it's not a championship-level team because I don't think the drivers are capable of being in competition for a championship. I don't think Lance Stroll is a championship-level driver, and the best days of Sebastian Vettel may be behind him. So what do you do if you're Lawrence Stroll, if you're putting a lot of money into this? Is it your son's pet project or is it you want a championship? Are you going to have to make hard decisions? Because I don't think Lance Stroll, and again, he has shown some good things in Formula One, but he has shown a lot of not good things in Formula One, but he's not a championship level driver. He is not going to run 23, 24 races during a season at top of the sport. He's not capable of doing that. So they were going to have to pair him up with a young driver that is is capable of doing that if they want to be a championship-level team. It is not coming from Lance Stroll. It's very unlikely that it's going to come from Sebastian Vettel anytime soon. All right, so that is your report card for all 10 teams at the Australian Grand Prix. All right, by the way, Vettel was fined $5,000 or euros for re-entering the track on a borrowed scooter after his car had caught on fire in FP1. Um, but never, I mean, the FIA is not messing around, apparently. They don't want jewelry on the drivers, and now you better not be taking a scooter on the track um, after your car catches on fire. Otherwise, you're fined 5,000 euros. And by the way, he made a really good point. We don't know what these fines go to. He was talking about this afterwards. He was like, where, where does the money go? <laughs> I've said this about every fine in every sport, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA. It's like, where exactly does the money go? Does it just go back into like some Scrooge McDuck vault that they dive into? I mean, where, do, where does the money go? It doesn't even matter what sport it is. I mean, when you get a fine, tell us where the money goes. All right, enough on that rant. I want to get to Toto Wolf and his comments on former race director Michael Massey. Uh, Wolf said that Massey was often disrespectful to the drivers and that he was a liability to Formula One. Now, of course, Toto Wolf is going to say that given what happened at Abu Dhabi when Massey ordered that only the five lapped cars between Hamilton and Verstappen were allowed to pass and that they were able to have this one lap shootout. It was very controversial, sort of changing the rules a bit. It was sort 
sort of manipulating the race to get a better entertainment value out of it rather than going by the book, which would have meant that Hamilton would have won the race under a safety car. It's not the most ideal way to win a Grand Prix and certainly not an ideal way to win a world championship, but many people felt that that's the way it should have went. Now, to be honest with you, I have no dog in this fight. I don't root for Mercedes. I don't root for uh, Red Bull. And even if I did, the goal of this podcast is try to stay objective as possible. I'm a Ferrari fan, but I've been critical of the Scuderia many, many times over the years and including last season on this podcast, I will continue to do so. I host a sports radio show in the United States. It's a national show, so it's not locally based in terms of like it's a local NFL team. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I am more than critical of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't try to protect them. I don't try to root for them through my analysis. I try to give hard analysis. So in this particular case, I'm not coming at this with a Red Bull perspective, and I'm certainly not coming at it with a Mercedes perspective. But Wolf taking his shots at a former race director, what does it accomplish? What does it it, it do for him and the circumstance? Or does it make Mercedes feel better that they've taken Michael Massey to task since he has been removed? Or were these just honest questions and honest answers from a guy who who said what he felt about the former race director that possibly, probably cost Lewis Hamilton the world championship, depending on your perspective? But here's the way I look at it. Was Michael Massey a liability to Formula One? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. If you are brand new to this sport and you are watching the World Championship, there are two ways you can see how that Abu Dhabi Grand Prix finished. One, was it entertaining? Hell yeah, it was entertaining. It was a one-lap shootout for all the marbles. But two, did it follow the proper guidelines for the Grand Prix rules that were in place? Regardless if there was a sub-part of the rulebook that allowed some sort of discretion from the race director, was it appropriate for Michael Massey to say, these lapped cars can unlap themselves, these lapped cars don't have to, and oh, by the way, we're going racing right now especially when Massey knew what the circumstances were. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure out if a guy's on used hard tires and a guy's on fresh softs, the guy with fresh softs is very, very likely to overtake the guy on the used tires, right? And that's exactly what Verstappen did en route to winning the race and winning the championship. So here's the quote from Toto Wolf. Quote, he was a liability for the sport because everyone kept talking about Abu Dhabi and the race director. And the race director should not be somebody that people talk about, but someone who does the job and makes sure the races run according to the regulations. I couldn't agree more with that. I honestly couldn't agree more to that. And we talk about that all the time here in the U.S. when it comes to the NFL. And we talk about it all the time when it comes to Major League Baseball. If you're an umpire, if you're an official, if you're a referee in the NBA and you are part of the story, you're not supposed to be part of the story. That's not good on any level. If officials are and umpires and referees or whoever, race directors, you name it, if they are part of the conversation when describing how a race performed. If I were to describe the ending of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that gave Max Verstappen his first world championship for, to somebody who didn't understand Formula One or didn't watch the race, I would have to include Michael Massey in the story. I would it, Maybe not by name, but I would have to say then the race director decided that this is what was appropriate for the ending of that Grand Prix. I said it last year. I'm going to repeat it. This was similar to the Super Bowl going into overtime and all of a sudden the officials or somebody in power decided that the overtime rule was now going to be different at the Super Bowl than was expected by the teams participating. 
right? That's, that's very similar to what happened here. I understand Wolf's frustration. It, it's been very well documented how upset him and Hamilton were on the ending of that Grand Prix. Of course. I mean, it was in the bag. They had it. And yet it felt, they felt like it was taken away. Christian Horner though, and Red Bull have nothing to apologize for because the rules and the regulations that were enacted by the race director are law at that time. You may disagree with them, but that's the way it is. Think of it in another sport, right? If there's holding on a touchdown pass late in the Super Bowl, for example, and it wasn't called, it's an irrelevant move. It, you know, the other team doesn't have to give it back. The other team doesn't have to call it on themselves, right? If there was pass interference and it wasn't called, too bad. That's just the way the game goes. Red Bull and Christian Horner, Max Verstappen, that whole team have nothing to apologize for. The race director made a decision for the conclusion of that race, and that's how it went down. Liability, I would say, is a very strong word from Wolf, though, on this one. Because again, if you're a new viewer to Formula One, even if you're an old viewer of Formula One and you just did not like the way that went down, it becomes a liability because you don't have trust in the organization to make sure that the races are concluded under the regulations that everyone agreed to. And that's a problem, right? Whether anybody likes it championship or no championship, you cannot have sort of the overriding discretion of an official or a race director determining the outcome of a race when all parties involved don't really understand why you're doing it. And it wasn't just Red Bull and Mercedes. A number of drivers, as you remember, made comments like, well, I don't know about this one. I, I don't know why were these lap cars allowed to go ahead? Why weren't the other lap cars allowed to unlap themselves? Why were we going racing immediately after when we were supposed to do an extra lap that that would have concluded the race? Clearly what they were doing was the entertainment value of this really sucked. So we're going to increase the entertainment value by putting together one, one lap shootout. NASCAR had this problem and they went into overtime. Formula one's not going into overtime. This is what happens. If it ends under a yellow, it ends under a yellow, but these are Strong words from Toto Wolf. I know it's, I'm not going to tell him to get over it. I mean, this is a very important deal to the team, especially now in a new era where championships aren't going to be guaranteed for Mercedes. But at the same time, he's gone. There are now two guys that are running this in alternate duties because one thing the FIA did determine was that Michael Massey had a lot on his plate, a little too much. Now, as for the one final thought, as for him, Massey, being disrespectful to drivers in race meetings, I can't speak to that. I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't in those meetings, so I can't even speculate. But if it was true, that's not appropriate. I mean, you don't be disrespectful to your bread and butter of your sport. You got to treat them with respect. They are putting their lives on the line in this sport. So don't treat them with disrespect. But again, I don't know if he did or not. It could be sour grapes for all I know. All right. So that's going to do it for our Australian Grand Prix review. We will be back with a preview of the Emilia Romana Grand Prix from Imola. That is going to be in a week. We're going to take this weekend off for the Easter holiday. So look for that. And of course, in that podcast, we'll have top five and bottom five from the Australian Grand Prix. That's how we do it on this show. Thank you for listening. Once again, please subscribe to the channel. If you need to hit me up on Twitter, you can do so at Tony D Radio. I do tweet about Formula One as well as other sports here in the good old US of A. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. You can participate in conversation there. We certainly love to see you there. But again, leave us a five-star review. And one other favor, if you wouldn't mind, if you really like this podcast, please share it with other Formula One fans. We really like to see this continue to grow. Um, I'm really happy to do this. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a broadcaster in the United States, but this podcast is my labor of love. It has nothing to do with the company I work for. It has nothing to do with my radio show that I do Monday through Friday for 
with the Sports Map Radio Network. And this is something I do entirely on my own because, again, I saw the popularity in the United States in Formula One Rise, and I'm, I, I kind of wanted to be a part of that growth. All right, so that'll do it for me. Tony Desiri, thanks for joining us. This is the Overtake Formula One podcast. <laughs>